The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, we have opportunity to lift up voice and song now and declare one great truth. That you have sent your Son, the only worthy one. You have sent him to the earth to redeem for yourself a people from every tongue and tribe and nation. He was worthy to do it. He did it. And he is about right now, as he sits and reigns, he is about the process of gathering all those people from across the globe and from across time, of gathering all those that he has won to himself. He's pulling them in. Us. And others still yet. This you assigned him to do, this he was worthy of, and this he accomplished. Praise his name. And now we are so bold as to ask for still more, because that honors you. And we come and ask you to do more. You are a great God who loves to give and loves to do for us. We are recipients of your grace. And we say thanks for that, and we also then ask now, will you now do some of that work of gathering us in and refining what it is that you've gathered this people here, shaping us more to be like him. Father, do that work now with this passage that's in front of us. Give us ears to hear it as it teaches us about the church and teaches us about particularly the, the role of the minister in your church and what it is that he has to do with your word which you've given to us for our good to grow us up. So speak about that, Lord. Teach us about that. Mature us. Gather in your people and grow us up in him. It's in Christ's name that we pray this for his honor and for our good. Amen. Last week we concluded 2 Timothy chapter 3 by looking at a couple of very well-known verses there about the authority and power of the Bible. Verse 16 explained that the Bible, that is the 66 books of the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's the very word of God, breathed out, it says there, meaning breathed out from God to us through human writers, like Paul here writing Timothy. So it is, it is the words of writers of human beings, but it is the word of God. And because it comes from God, it's therefore without error. It's trustworthy. It's useful for us as it teaches and reproves, that is, informing and correcting us in areas of doctrine, and as it, it trains us to walk in righteousness, that is, it, it addresses and corrects us in areas of practice, leading us as we depend on the Holy Spirit of God to live the life we were made for, the life of dependence on trust in God. Because that's what the Bible is and what it does, that then means something further. Verse 17 from last week connects the Bible to ministry. The Bible is the toolbox, you might say, that renders a minister equipped for every good work, good work of all sorts. So, so ministers are supposed to use it to, to lean into it, to trust it, to like, you, like a toolbox. You go into the toolbox and, and you have a collection of tools there. 
Some things for one and some things for another, but it's all there. And the Bible is the toolbox that a, a minister should say, this is to be at the core, the foundation, the center of ministry. It's what equips a minister for every good work. And that's what leads us to our passage today, the final exhortation that Paul gave to Timothy, and the final recorded exhortation of Paul's life period. Verse 6 of chapter 4, which we won't look at this week, but which is closely connected, alerts us to the fact that, reminds us maybe, if you, if you remember, Paul's on death row when he writes this. Paul's looking at the end of his life, and he knows, as he says, the time for my departure has come. I, I'm, I'm about to check out here. I'm going to be executed. And this then, this, this final word here from him is particularly meaningful, this final charge that he gives to Timothy. And in a couple ways, this is important for all of us, all of us in the room here. Because as we've said, we've noted this before, that all Christians are ministers in some sense. So we all need to hear and keep in mind that the Bible is to be at, at the core of our particular ministry endeavors, whatever they may be. So we all need to hear this for ourselves. But in another way, which is more to the point of the passage, in another way, we're going to all hear this kind of listening in. Because in, in, in kind of an odd way, this is what I would preach to me. And you all are listening in on this to, to hear something about what a pastor, what a minister with a capital M, what a minister's job is. As you hear that, you'll learn things. This is what a church is supposed to be about. This is what's, what God has declared, I want at the center of the church. So you'll learn things there about how church should work, what a pastor should be about. And if you keep thinking through that, you'll also say, I see the goodness of God in this too. Because if this is his very word, and if this word is what he said in 16, 17 above, then, then the fact that God gets very pointedly, seriously focused on giving this word to us, well, that's good of him. That is kind of him. That, he's, that God is this emphatic about it. It's for my good. Thank you. So most of us will hear that kind of listening in. In some ways, I'm preaching to myself, I suppose, and all who may find themselves similarly in ministry, in a, in a pastoral or a missionary sense, maybe, where you are called regularly to proclaim the word, as, as this passage talks about. This is very frequently pre preached at pastoral ordination ceremonies, installation ceremonies, for instance, you can see why. So I'm talking to myself and, and all of us here. And may we all hear it and learn, but also give thanks for what God has done in putting his word through his ministers in his church. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Let me read the passage, and I'm going to begin back up in verse 16 so we can kind of catch the flow of it all here, and then I'll draw three observations from chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. But I'm beginning in 3.16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. 
I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. 2 Timothy 4. There's three observations. Here's the first about context. The context of this charge here in this passage, the context reveals its great importance. The context of the charge reveals its great importance. This passage is about Paul issuing a solemn charge to Timothy, and so as I said, it's most pointedly about ministers, capital M ministers, who are in this position because of their God-assigned gifts. And he's going he's to charge him with nine separate commands here. That's what verse 1 leads in, and then verse 2 and 5 has nine separate commands that all of them are they're all related. That's the point. But verse 1 begins first by giving us a, an awesome context. Something that alerts us to the fact that what we're looking at here is, is particularly profoundly important because it brings us into the presence of big, eternal, majestic, gripping realities. It's easy to read this like that. Let me get on to the charge. Sit in verse 1 for just a minute and see. Paul, on the doorstep of eternity, I charge you, pastor, in the presence of God, meaning God the Father, the sovereign who made and rules and sustains all things, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, God the Son, who came near in flesh to dwell among us, to make the, the unseeable God the Father. He, he appeared in flesh so as to become visible to us and to dwell among us. This is Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. John chapter 5, Jesus makes this point. God the Father has given to me the power and the authority to judge everyone, everywhere, for all time. Jesus says, that's me. In 2 Corinthians 5, as Paul writes there, makes clear that that includes Christians too, in that everyone, everywhere. It includes Christians. Not to determine whether or not you are saved. You are a Christian. You are in Christ. You are saved. But the judgment that Jesus will execute will come on Christians also. As he says there, to judge us for how we've done the deeds in the body, whether they be good or bad. Christians. And Paul repeats that here to say, not just everybody and Christians Pastors too, pastors in particular. The Bible elsewhere says that those who would be teachers will receive a greater judgment, so don't, don't want that unless you have to have it. 
Unless you're given it and assigned it, don't want that. There's a greater judgment on those who would assume to be preachers and teachers in the church. And Paul is underlining that here. Timothy. I'm in a dungeon cell in Rome and you're in a house in Ephesus hundreds of miles away and God the Father and Christ the King, the Judge sees me write this and sees you read this and sees your response to it, sees how you're hearing it right now, what you're taking from this, how you feel about it. He sees that. And Christ is an impartial judge. He always judges rightly, and he will judge everything, including you and your response to this right here. Because what's at stake, particularly with this right here, is the sanctity of his word and the honor of his name and the good of his people, whom he loves. And so by virtue of the fact that Christ is coming, this Christ, this King, this Judge is coming, and he will stand on the earth, and every eye will see him when he appears in blazing glory, and when he comes and puts his foot down on the earth, his kingdom will be established, and he will reign. Do you see that, Timothy? Pastor. I do. I'm in my cell and I see it. Do you see it, Timothy? Do you see it, church? This is just as true as the blue plastic chair you're sitting in right now. You feel that, you see it. Do you see his appearing and his kingdom? He will come and he will sort out all that is right and wrong and he will reign. This Jesus is the one with whom we must deal, not your neighbor or your friend. Why is that important? Because it's really easy to see neighbor and friend and it's really easy to correctly, accurately perceive that they are always looking at us and always coming to some sort of a judgment about what we're doing and how we're doing it. And therefore, it's really, really, really tempting to live to their approval. Because I can feel it constantly from them. And Jesus is a distant idea. And what Paul's trying to do is pull that distant idea right up and put it right next to your neighbor. So you see him too and realize, if I see verse 1, there is something here that is far, 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 far more important than what this one or that one or those ones think of me. It's what he thinks of me. What does Jesus think is the only question in the end. For all of us. The only question. And, and that is... Compelling and sobering. You hear, the, you hear it in my tone, I hope, that there is something serious about that. that that's why Paul's writing it like this, so that we would feel something serious, that it's real. But also notice this, there is something really, really, really freeing about this. You've experienced it when you feel, I don't care what that guy thinks, I'm going to do this. When you don't care what that guy thinks, there's a freedom there. And those, those two directions there, the sobering, I will be evaluated, and the freedom, I don't care what they think, that's where the next two points go. Because pastor, minister, 
It is very, very easy to shirk your duty. Very, very easy to get really, really caught up in what other people think. Those are the next two points. And he's going to, I hope he, he aims to cut the root out of both of them by putting us in this context before God the Father and Christ the Son who judges when he comes. He judges. No one else. Just him. Sobering. It's going to bring us to the second point. Freeing. That'll bring us to the third point. Here's the second point then. God commands pastors to proclaim the Bible to his people. God commands pastors to proclaim the Bible to his people. So the God-breathed scriptures will equip and enable the man of God for every good work, verse 17. So I charge you, verse 2, preach the word. There are nine commands here in verses 2 and 5, but this is the first one and all the other ones relate somehow or another. Preach the word. Your one job. That is, announce or declare or proclaim. All different ways you could put that. And perhaps it might be helpful to render it differently because it gets us behind what sounds like kind of a religious word, preaching. It's not inherently a religious word at all. It's just a word that's getting at some sort of a one-sided, public speaking forth of a message. Proclaiming or announcing. Preaching. So this, this isn't about conversation or dialogue. Not that that's inappropriate and doesn't belong in a church. No, it very much is appropriate and very much does belong in a church. It's very important and very helpful. And churches must be about dialoguing and conversing about the truths of God. It's just that this isn't about that. This is something different. This is one-way communication. For us, probably in our culture, most commonly we, we identify it with the pulpit in the middle of the worship service. But it doesn't have to be that. And probably originally you would have seen it sitting in a circle in the living room or sitting in the courts of the temple or in a small group or in a large group or even talking one-to-one with someone. It can be any kind of a, of a setting, any kind of a size. But for us, most commonly we're thinking about Sunday morning sermon. That's what it is. A proclaiming of a message from God to his people, preaching of the word, the Bible. Accurately understood in light of its context and grammar, including the context of Christ, because as we've looked at last week, Jesus points out that all of the Bible is pointing to him. This book is from God, and it's God's message that he once announced to his people. And so the minister is to preach the Bible not any other book. From time to time, you'll, you'll see a church or hear a church that's got a, a sermon series on some other book. Or a sermon series even on another Christian book. Or a sermon series on a movie. Preach the Bible. God's Word. Not, not a, another book, not any ideas of, of 
human development or theories about economics or philosophy or, or something that should be politically oriented, not the ideas that the, the pastor has and the pastor's really about or convinced of. The Bible. Now, here in our, here in our church, I'm, I'm kind of preaching to the choir here. But understand that. It's preach the word. Nothing else. Not even my life illustrated by Bible passages. The Bible illustrated with life, perhaps. But we can get that all wrong, too. Have you ever been to a sermon? I know you have. Where the pastor will read the passage, and that's the last time you touched it. Because what follows then is a, a, a nice talk about something, not the Bible. Preach the Bible. Proclaim God's word to God's people is what God says. In the power of the Holy Spirit, that is what is able to make a person wise for salvation through faith in Christ. In the power of the Holy Spirit, that is what teaches and reproves and corrects and trains. So that is what God once proclaimed, the Bible, at all times. The next command tells us something about when the preaching is to be done, in season and out of season. In other words, always. Not when I feel like it, and not when you feel like it, and not when it seems to me like it would be appropriate, and not when it seems to you like you're ready to hear it. Because seeming and feeling, we, we all really don't have a very good idea about what's going on in the spiritual realm. So God says, just do it always, regularly. And sometimes the pastor will preach a sermon that's boring. And sometimes a congregant will sleep through it. And sometimes that very same sermon, unbeknownst to us, some visitor from out of town will come in and be moved by. Who are we to judge? Just preach. In season and out of season, always. Preach or get around preaching and lean into God in season and out of season preach. What, what does that mean? What are we talking about? Well, that's the last half of verse 2. We've got a, three commands that are lined up that explain a little bit about what he means. And notice these commands push in all kinds of different directions here, and they must all be kept together to make a proper whole. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. If you hear those words, they kind of feel like a little bit, eh, hmm, hmm. Those are, those are difficult words. There's, there's some sort of firmness in that, kind of like we saw in verse 16 last week. The Bible preached will reprove. That is, it will say, when preached properly, no, that's not true. And it will rebuke. It'll say to you, you yourself are in the wrong. You are doing the wrong thing. That's sin. Change. Now, it's not that you misunderstood, it's that you're doing the wrong thing. To say you misunderstood, that'd be reproof. Rebuke is to directly say you are doing the wrong thing. It's to cross your path. 
and exhort. That is, with some fire in it, some urgency, call, urge, command you to turn. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. And the minister must be willing to take the Bible and do that. Notice, this is a command to the minister, not a statement about what the Bible does. This is a command to the minister. Minister, take the Bible, and let's pick one of those words, rebuke people with it. How comfortable do we feel right now? That's what the Bible says. Up above, in verse 16, this is what the Bible's for. This verse, pastor, do that with the Bible. Okay? Take the Bible and reprove. Take the Bible and exhort. Preach it in this way. Exhort people away from sin and away from self, towards which we all drift, and towards righteousness and towards Christ. And poke and prod people with the Bible. Get after people with the Bible. This is your job, preacher. Notice, I'm not getting after you with me. I'm getting after you with God's word. I'm just the spokesman in the middle. That's awkward. There it is. But that's not all. Because I said, we've got a package here. We've got to keep it all together. We must keep it all together. Because maybe that pushes us. I think definitely that pushes us in one direction. But these commands are carefully qualified with complete patience and teaching. If we understand that phrase, which is not the command, just the qualifier of the command, we understand that phrase, it kind of takes the edge off of these difficult words. Again, let's use rebuke. It's a tough word, but put rebuke right next to the phrase at the end of the verse. Have you ever been rebuked by someone who is simultaneously completely patient with you and fully committed to explaining correct doctrine and practice, the, the thing that you should have done and how to do it, and how you can get there by the grace and the mercy of God that's available in Christ. Patiently teaching all of that and rebuking along the way. As I thought about that, I, I kind of put it like this. I thought, that almost doesn't even make any sense. Because usually, reproof is embarrassing and rebuke is belittling. Most of the time, I think, it comes across as harsh and angry and full of frustration. There's kind of this nasty edge on it. We've all been on the receiving end of that, and I think probably we've all given that. And it usually feels like, uh, or when will you get it right? Or there's some kind of a nasty edge in that, right? In, in the word rebuke even. With complete patience. That then maybe gets us thinking about, those of us who are parents, parenting in our best moments. Not in our worst moments. In our best moments. When we're dealing with a child that we are very well aware, growth is an iterative thing. And it comes and goes and comes and goes and comes and goes. And it's gradual. It's going to take a long time. It's a process. And I get that. 
And so I am certainly going to correct you, and I'm certainly going to tell you, no, don't do that. But I also know that I'm going to say it a thousand more times before you turn 10, and I'm okay with that. It's part of the process. I'm not angry at you. I'm not frustrated at you, Junior. I certainly don't want to belittle you. I certainly don't want to tell you that you are a loser and that, and that I want you out of my presence. No, 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 no. I, I love you, so I'm going to correct you, but my hope is that my kindness will lead you to turn. That's God's approach with all of us, his people, that he realizes our growth is iterative and it's going to take a long time. And so he wants to, he certainly loves us and he wants to correct us. He wants to reprove our, our thinking and rebuke our wrong behavior, but he does so very patiently because he knows who we are. And he's got time. He doesn't want to communicate to his people. I'm angry at you. I'm frustrated with you. I don't want anything to do with you. Why won't you shape up? He doesn't want to communicate that to us at all. He wants to communicate with us in patience, that is, in mercy and grace, and to draw us onto Christ. But because he loves us, he wants to draw us onto Christ. He wants his kindness to lead us to repentance for sure, for sure, for sure, because that's where life is found. So the minister has to understand, I have to reprove and I have to rebuke and I have to exhort, but I have to do so with complete patience and with instruction and teaching because that's what God is like. That's what a good father is like with his people. He wants his children to grow up, and so he gives his word and commands his spokesman to use it and to use it like he would, in patience, gracious and merciful with us in our weakness. Preach the word. And lastly... Persevere in faithful biblical proclamation even though people will turn away from it. Persevere in faithful biblical proclamation even though people will turn away from it. This charge to this faithful minister includes the call to be patient in part because of what verses 3 and 4 address. There's going to be a lot of trying stuff that's going to happen. The time is coming, which may sound like he's talking about something in the future, but he's not. He's talking to Timothy. He means the time's going to come sometime in your life, Timothy. It, it comes and goes, sometimes more, sometimes less. But you're going to live in this situation, Timothy, when people will not endure sound teaching. It's teaching, it's faithful biblical proclamation, the sort that Paul was just mentioning, what, what he's talked about actually throughout the whole book. The Bible, true, good, sound, but you're going to find people unwilling to put up with it. Why? Why not? Next phrase, because they have itching ears. Which is a metaphorical way of saying there's a restlessness in them that urges them to dabble in something different. Just something different, just something different. 
Maybe I want to hear and mentally play with something that feels kind of chic and urbane and that all my friends at, at work or my friends you know, out on a Friday night would think like, yeah, that's, that's cool, I'm down with that. Maybe it's, I want something that's kind of mysterious and mystical and feels otherworldly in a different way. Whatever it is that, that I want, I'm just the Bible is just, I mean, we're always just hearing the Bible. I mean, the Bible is so boring. Just the same old stuff all the time. You know, and it feels a little bit, frankly, a little bit hard to swallow sometimes. And some of my friends don't think it's really what they like. I want something more relevant. Something in tune with the modern age. Itch, 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 itch. And there's a stirring inside. I don't, I don't even know exactly what I want, but I want something. And so it says they go like this. And they gather to themselves a heap of teachers. It says they reach out and grab and pull close and then listen to and follow any number of teachers who will teach them what suits their own passions. And notice the order there. The passions came first, and then they gather the teachers to tell them what they want to hear. They already know what they want to hear, sort of. They want to hear this kind of thing. And so they'll gather together people who will tell them the kinds of things they want. That's how people work. We work from the inside out. And they will go around and they will amass and accumulate teachers who will teach them what they want to hear. Who are we talking about here? People in the church. It says they won't endure sound teaching. They used to hear it, but they won't any longer. Verse 4, they will turn away from listening to the truth. They used to listen to the truth, but now they will turn away from it. They won't do that any longer. People who used to sit in church under the sound preaching of the minister and then grow tired of it because they want something else, and so they turn aside to myths and all the misleading nonsense that the world offers. That's verses 3 and 4. And Paul wants to alert Timothy that that's, that's the reality here. And so in, indirectly, there is, there is indirectly an, an alert to us, to all of us here. A warning maybe about the very human tendency to think like that and, and let our hearts grow cold to Christ and be attracted to and drawn to all the things that the world offers and then to go out looking for what we want to hear. There's, there's a message there. Be on guard against that. And as the Bible says elsewhere, guard your heart. Pay attention to yourself when you're growing cold and stir up, again, affections for Christ. Put yourself around the people of God and pray that God warms your heart with the truth that's here. So there, there's an alert there to us, but, but really this is to Timothy. This is an alert to him saying to him, when you do it right, this will still happen in the church. Be ready for it, preacher. It'll happen, and it has nothing to do with the soundness of the preaching. It's actually because of the soundness of the preaching. If you follow the thinking through, they don't want to hear the truth anymore. You're speaking the truth. That's why they turn away. 
Now, it's maybe important to, on the side here, say, I, I once heard somebody preach a point like this. I heard somebody talk about a point like this. And part of the awkwardness of this sermon that I'm talking in indirect, I'm talking about myself, but he used this in a slippery, self-justifying way. Because I could use that and say, I'm right, and anybody who leaves doesn't want the truth. Right? I'm right. It, it, could, it could be, I could turn this to be a service to myself and an accusation against everybody else. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. I don't mean to say that. There are a lot of, there are a lot of ways I could go wrong. There are a lot of reasons a, people, a person may leave a church. I'm, I'm not... I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying that what this passage says is there is a human tendency to want something other than the Bible. And it is no sure guide because person X left, you're doing something wrong. You, Timothy, have to please me, not everybody else. Keep that in mind. People will prefer something else and will turn away. Pursuing myth in the world. Be sober-minded about that. Verse 5. That's going to happen. Be aware of it. Persevere in sound gospel proclamation. Keep after it and endure all the hardship that comes from it. There's a tendency, of course, to, to start to want to modify the message and to, to start to want to tickle those itching ears, to keep people around. And Paul just says to Timothy, preach the word, stand before Jesus. Even if persecution comes, which, as he said above in chapter 3, it will endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. In the early church, the evangelist was a particular role. So Paul's not telling Timothy, a pastor, to be an evangelist. He's telling him to do that kind of work. Perhaps because, and I can testify to this, when you're a pastor, when you're a preaching pastor in a church, it is easy to get lost in the church. Something we all probably can be in touch with. It's easy to get lost in what's going on inside the church and forget about those outside the church. And Paul wants to remind him, part of your proclamation is not just in the pulpit, it's to others who are outside as well because they need to hear about Christ too. Do that work. Don't forget about the community. There's some who aren't here who need to be talked to and who need to come. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. This is the bookend of the nine commands. Proclaim the Bible Fulfill your ministry, the two ends. 
It's the whole charge delivered in the presence of God. And if you stand in front of that for any length of time and say, huh, that's hard. And you told me right in the middle that it's not going to always go well. Let me just be honest with you guys. This is such an awkward sermon. It would, be, it would be helpful if I was preaching it to somebody else. So this is me, full, full disclosure mode here. It is, it is easy, very easy to wonder if I would have just changed that phrase or that sentence, if I hadn't talked about that, would they still be here? It is very easy for me to look out right now and read your faces and try to discern, did I go off track there? Do I need to wind that back? Do I need to, that person looks a little bit frustrated. This person's falling asleep. What do I need to do to modify that? And, and for real. And these then, these nine commands come up and say, verse one, Stand before Jesus and preach the word. And know you're going to mess it up, Steve. We can be honest about that too, right? Anybody think I've never messed it up? <laughs> no hands. <laughs> There's only one minister who never messed it up. There's only one proclaimer of the word of God who ever perfectly fulfilled his ministry. Only one. Who endured suffering with sober mind, who did the work of an evangelist just right, who taught with patience and mercy and grace and preached with piercing clarity at the same time, in just the right way. So that he knew when that guy walked away, that's because it's that guy's heart, not me. And when this guy came, it's because it's the power of the Spirit, not him. Only one like that. I'm not him. We all know that. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Because he's the shepherd of the flock. He's the actual teacher of the sheep. It's his word that he's proclaiming to us. And every under-shepherd of the sheep looks to him, the good shepherd, for strength and guidance and wisdom and grace and forgiveness when we fail. And, and power and wisdom to cover over the mistakes that we sow into the sheep. And every sheep in the flock also needs to keep in mind, you look at the preacher, but you have to look through the preacher to the one whose word this is and to the one who actually is caring for you. Just right. He cares for his people, so he's given us his word, and he's given us a spokesman for his word every week, constantly. So it'll be there. 
but he hasn't surrendered you to this failed, flawed spokesman. He hasn't let go. He actually superintends over to make sure that you get fed as you need to be fed. Thanks be to God for that. The good shepherd who covers over all the mistakes of his under-shepherds makes sure that his people are safely cared for, safely carried into his kingdom that is coming when he comes. Keep the context in mind. I live, I hope, looking to Jesus to please Jesus. You live looking to Jesus to please Jesus, not the preacher. I am just a messenger. Worship God. Hear his word. Yield to it. Rejoice in it and give thanks for it. Let me pray. God, we need your help. Day in, day out, week in, week out, month, year, decade, we need your help to preach to us your good word, which is where we find life. We live on every word that comes out of your mouth. So we thank you for giving it to us, and thank you for giving us human spokesmen. And thank you for not surrendering us completely to the human spokesman, but staying close and shepherding your flock all the way home. Thank you. Do that now. Would you keep in this church, would you keep the ministry of the word central in this church like the spark plug that lights the engine and makes it go? Make us more than that, but keep that. And will you put that in every one of your churches? That your word may do its work and build up your people and honor your name. We ask you for that, we thank you for it, and we pray in Christ's name who assures it. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.